1: This is The Rich Eisen Show. How you doing? Good, Dan. How about you? <laughs> well, no complaints. No complaints. Um, That's good. We don't want to hear them anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap it up for this show. Live from The Rich Eisen Show studio in Los Angeles. That's a fact. Don't we don't want to hear the complaints. We don't want to hear absolutely it. don't want to hear the complaints. Absolutely not. The Rich Eisen Show with guest host Dan Schwartzman. And now, sitting in for Rich... Hit the drop. It's Dan Schwartzman.
2: Hi, it's hour number two. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen, The Rich Eisen Show on a Friday on Twitter at Rich Eisen Show. Got anything to say? 310 845 4120. A lot of NBA talk coming up this hour. We're going to head to Philadelphia. Devon Givens with 97.5, The Fanatic. Sixers insider will toss the latest on Joel Embiid. Will he play tonight or not? We're gonna get to that. I made a mistake though yesterday. All right, you you like to eat too, man. I made a big mistake yesterday. So, what happened? I uh, I had this like weekend place, right? So I had to come out here. This work occurring here, so I had to come out here and see what's going on. My brother-in-law's doing all this work around the house. Wanted to kind of come out here and you know see 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 the progress he's made, and also I like to get away from the wife and. You know, I got two kids. I got an 11 and a half year old daughter, and I have a four-month-old daughter. And the four-and-a-half – you know, the four-month-old daughter keeps me up at night because she's not sleeping well. So it's like I like coming out here. It's a reprieve. So – but usually I leave late because I work till late usually. So I hop in the car last night like uh probably like a 10, 45, 11 o'clock, okay? And it's like a two-and-a-half-hour drive. But I'm hungry. And, again, the wife's not with me, so I know I can eat whatever I want. If I want to get the big cup Reese's Pieces – you know, peanut butter cups – I want to drink like an energy drink, whatever. Like, no one's there to like critique me. Uh, you don't have In N Out either. Thank goodness. No, I have quality burger places here. So, um, yeah, I did say that. I think it's the most overrated food place in the world. Wow. It is. What? Uh, yeah, hand cut fries, whoopty, whoopty do. Great. But the burgers themselves, eh. Thousand Island dressing on it. Whoa, what a concept. We can talk all day about this, okay? I'm not a. I'm, I, I, I'm okay with In N Out. I just don't think it's as great as everybody makes it out to be like, oh, my God, you're on the West Coast. Oh, you got to go to In-N-Out. Or, oh, I had In-N-Out. Thankfully, they had one at the airport. Honestly, I I can do without. Not the greatest. Come on, you guys have better palates than that in the West Coast. You have great food there, great sushi, right? great Asian foods there, great Mexican foods there, but yet it's In-N-Out this, In-N-Out that. No. Come on. Better burgers out there. Come to my kitchen. I'll make you a better burger. Okay. (laughs) All right, I I got it out of my system. I had to get that out. So, I'm driving last night, and it's like 12.45 a.m., and I always stop at this one gas station because these days, with the price of gas going up and down every day, if you got a decent price, it was like $4.11, which sounds like heaven these days. I can't imagine, Art, where you're paying for gas. What is it, Five fifty right now where you're fifty
1: 5 and uh, yeah, for, for premium, it's 6 bucks. Okay,
2: so you're literally paying an arm, a leg, and your other arm yeah, when it comes uh, to gas. It's, it's insane. It's insane. So I, I see 411. I think that's a good deal, right? I mean, that's a good deal. And I have an SUV. So I pull into this gas station like 1245 at night, and they have like a big store attached to it. Like, it's not just like the, the little couple of shelves convenience store where you buy the, uh, the Macho Man beef jerky, and as you're eating it, you regret it, you know, because that always happens to me. I always buy like the big Slim Jim, and I'm like, why did I do that as I'm chowing down on the massive size, massive Slim Jim, right? So I realized, and I'd never noticed before, that they have like a sandwich place, like a, a sub shop type of thing in this convenience store. And there's a guy behind the counter. I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm hungry. I'm about an hour away. Um, let me do something. So I get there and I start, I order like a classic Italian hoagie, right? 12 inch. And I'm sitting there as he's making it. And I look at my watch. I'm like, it's like 1250 at this time. I'm like, by the time I get to the house, it's 2 a.m., by the time I start eating this, it's like 2:05 in the morning. Is it is it the smartest thing for me to eat a foot long Italian hoagie at 2:05 in the morning? Probably not, right, Art? That's probably not the best thing for no, me. No,
1: no, your heart's not going to be uh, thanking you for that one.
2: I, I don't think my stomach thanked me for it, but I did it anyway. So 2:05 in the morning, I'm like the kid that uh, comes home from the bar in college and sticks my hand in the peanut jar and I wake, you know, peanut butter jar and I wake up that way the next day. I'm eating this hoagie going, this is not a good idea, but I'm doing it anyway because I'm hungry and it's actually a really good hoagie. This morning I'm like, why did I do that? Like I actually regretted it. Like I never regret eating food because I eat in such copious amounts, but like I actually regretted eating a foot-long Italian sub at 2.05 in the morning. Not a good at 20 years old, we get away with that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
2: I'm 43.
1: Yeah, I'm a little older. No, we can't no, do No,
2: not a good idea. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I'll do it again. I, I guarantee you it's going to happen again. I'm telling you it's a bad idea right now, Arn, but I guarantee you in the next month or two it's going to happen again.
1: With a beer chaser.
2: I did have that too, by the way. But yes, and I am of age. But I honestly will tell you right now it's a terrible idea to eat in a 12-inch 12, 12 Italian hoagie at 2 a.m. in the morning. But there will be another instance in the next month or two where I will be driving by the same gas station at the same exact time and knowing full well I shouldn't do this, I will order the footlong, the Italian hoagie, and I will sit at home at 2.05 in the morning uh, eating a hoagie, knowing that it's not going to agree with me. But I did it anyway. So, guys, everybody out there listening, don't do it. Mark my words. Grab that crappy Slim Jim. Eat that massive Slim Jim. Regret that as well. But the next day you're going to be thankful you had the Slim Jim and not the 12-inch Italian hoagie. All right, Art. You learn something new with me every day. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no twelve-inch hoagies while you drive. All right, let's get to some NBA talk here. Uh, I'm not the biggest NBA fan. I'm a product of the '80s and the '90s. I am a product of the Michael Jordan era, the Detroit, you know, Pistons era of aggressive basketball, team-oriented basketball, Shaq, Kobe, and the Lakers. Uh, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Hakeem Olajuwon, true centers, Shaq, of course, you know, guys that would bang inside, guys that would, uh, you know, knock you to the ground, tough defense, officials eating whistles, not exactly blowing it on every single call when somebody drives a lane anticipating a foul. I hate that the flow of basketball is, is always ruined by officials. They don't let these guys play. Steph Curry, as great as he is, has kind of spoiled basketball for me. I know the younger generation is saying blasphemy. How can you say that? But when you go to a kid's basketball game, everybody's shooting 30 footers, it tells you something, right? What's happened? True centers today can't even get drafted. I love like in the pre draft things, like when they have like the camp in Chicago leading up to the NBA draft, they talk about that seven foot three guy. Oh, he's shooting three pointers. Wow. I'm thinking, why would a seven foot three guy be shooting three pointers? A 7 foot 3 guy should be three feet from the hoop. But no, he could no bomb but he could shoot three pointers, you know? This guy could do that. I'm thinking, come on. That's not the basketball I grew up watching. I grew up watching seven foot three guys killing it inside. The Sean Bradleys of the world couldn't do it because he didn't have enough mass to do it inside because that's how the NBA worked back then. You had post-up players. I like that. Turnaround jumpers. But now everybody's got to be quicker, everybody's got to be able to shoot threes, and these big men can't play the way that, uh, you know, big men were supposed to play, at least for my generation. So basketball kind of lost me a little bit over the years. I still watch, obviously, but it's not the same. There's no passion as much, right? James Harden's shooting 40-footers. I'm like, nah, it's no fun. I used to basketball, I had basketball, I had to live with watching Carmelo Anthony play for the Knicks, and that's just miserable. I don't know what's my like I don't know what put me to sleep quicker. A lullaby, a soap opera, or Carmelo Anthony on offense. I mean, you want a good nap. Watch Carmelo Anthony, because here's why. He comes down the court. Everybody on his on his team offensively will back away. And Carmelo's one-on-one. He just some fancy dribble move and then he shoots a 20-footer. Every single time. Passing's not in the vocabulary. Maybe he's changed a little bit. Since he's he's becoming a bench player, you know, his career career continues. But when you think of Stack Compiler, him and Russell Westbrook, their faces are what you see in the encyclopedia, okay, under Stack Compiler. So I want good basketball. I, I, I crave good basketball. And I was excited for the Sixers and the Heat. That, to me, is a fun series. I think the Heat are the best team in the East. I think the Sixers are... Right up there as well. And I thought to myself, what a matchup to see Joel Embiid, seven-foot, highly skilled player, inside-outside, incredible player, potentially the MVP of the league, against a Heat team that plays defense, but they don't have the height to match him, right? Bam Adebayo is six nine. They list him at that. He's probably more six seven, six eight, because everybody lies in the NBA. But there's no Joel Embiid these first two games, you know, the Sixers, James Harden's not the same player. They just can't compete. And here we are, game three. As of now, Embiid has listed as out. There's a chance he could play. We're going to find out. Devon Givens from 97.5, the Fanatics, is going to join us here in about uh, 10 or so minutes. Give us the latest. But we're being robbed as basketball fans of seeing what should be a great series. Because a healthy Sixer team with Embiid at full strength but Tyrese Maxey, who's been awesome, against the Miami Heat, who are just really, I mean, look, that's a great team to watch. It really is. I love the the, the lunch pail hard worker in Jimmy Butler, right? This is a guy that came into the NBA as a late first-round pick. He was a guy that had to learn, learned under Thibodeau, I think it was, with the Bulls. I mean, turned into a superstar two-way player, right? Plays defense. He gives it all. Like, when Jimmy Butler's on the court, like he gives it all. Like, that guy's not taking any plays off. And guys like Tyler Hero just won the NBA Sixth Man of the Year. There's talent. There. Bio's a banger, right? I love it. I love that team. Spolster's got this guy. You know, he, he gets a lot out of his guys. That guy's a heck of a coach. You know, you take away LeBron, you take away Dwayne Wade, you take away Chris Bosh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're not winning championships because they don't have that, but they're a competitive team every year. And they're a really well-coached team. So it would have been great to see the best of the Heat versus the best of the Sixers. To me, that's a fun series. But we're not getting that. So I'm praying that Embiid's back because no Embiid tonight. Sixers are down three games. They're, they're, you know, they can't compete right now. You're seeing that. You saw that through the first two games. Embiid's back. There's a chance. 2-1, baby. They're competitive. They make a series out of this. They go down 3 nothing, and B comes back for game four. They're not winning four in a row. The Heat are a good team. They're going to win one out of four games, regardless of Embiid being there. Series is over. Potentially, after tonight, it could be over. Miami wins. it's, It's done. And we suffer. And that's bothered me, really has bothered me, because I wanted to see great basketball, and there was an opportunity to see great basketball in that series. And I'm a Knicks fan, so I haven't seen great basketball in a long time. Trust me, right? It's been ages since i've really seen competitive good basketball and by the way the brooklyn nets they're a bunch of frauds okay so don't tell me just go across the river and you watch the brooklyn nets at the barclays center you want good hoop stand there you go Uh uh-uh frauds steve nash should have been fired ages ago not the right coach for the situation didn't make sense in hiring him should have brought in a guy with cred not player cred but coaching cred Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame player, MVP twice, whatever. It doesn't matter. What has he done as a coach? Nothing. He had never coached before. And it kind of shows. Strong personalities on that Brooklyn team. He needed a strong personality for a coach. Somebody that kind of understood how to make it all gel, like a Phil Jackson type. Had some rings, could flash and say, trust me, I may be quirky, but it works. Here's the proof. Not Steve Nash, who's like, hey, trust me, yeah, I was a great player, but... I haven't won anything as a coach, so I think we can do something here. Just please listen to me. doesn't work that way. And you kind of saw it with that team. What a train wreck the Brooklyn Nets are. So for not witnessing good basketball all this time, because, again, I'm a Knicks fan, I was excited to see, and I'm not listening. I spent four and a half years in Philadelphia working in that city. So I do respect the Sixers. I was not pleased with the way they went about building this team. I don't think tanking is fair to fans I know fans like, okay, well, we're gonna stink anyway, might as really might as well really stink than be somewhat decent. Rather have that number one pick than the number eight or nine or ten pick, better chance of talent. But it's embarrassing to be a professional organization trying your hardest to lose games, right? Because I'd always heard that any player in any sport is so competitive, they don't want to be a part of that. Guys aren't trying to lose in any sport. Guys are trying to get their next paycheck, elongate their career. It's a short enough career. Let me elongate it. Make as much money as I can in the 10 years I can potentially play or 12 years. And if I'm playing on a perennial loser, chances are my career's not going to be that long. I remember when the Tampa Bay Rays were the Devil Rays, and they were terrible, and that's where player careers went to die. All right, you remember those days? It's like Greg Vaughn signs with Tampa Bay. All right, his career's over. Jose Canseco's going to Tampa Bay. Bye-bye, Jose.
1: Yeah, That's it for your baseball career,
2: right? So, like, the Sixers, during that whole run of losing 70 games a year, it was a joke. It was sad. It it did not reflect well for the NBA. And those players, that's where player careers went to die. You got drafted by the Sixers. You got traded to the Sixers. You got signed by the Sixers. All right, man, enjoy the G League next year. That's where you're going to be. So they turned it around. They bring in talent. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid. You get, you know, I mean, you you get top five picks every single year for, like, four years. Yeah, you're going to get some talent. And here we are now. And last year, the Sixers get, you know, the injury bug bites them. Ben Simmons can't shoot. We saw that last year. Cost them in the playoffs. Hence, he got angry because people were booing him, rightfully so, because, well, listen, I mean, you can't hit a free throw and you won't take a jumper from five feet. Yeah, fans aren't going to be happy. I get it. This year is supposed to be different. Daryl Morey pulls off the deal with Brooklyn. He brings in James Harden. He add him to Joel Embiid. Matt and Tyrese Maxey's become a star. This is a different team. Lo and behold, Embiid, who shouldn't have been... By the way, he shouldn't have been on the court in that game six against the Raptors. They're up by 20-some-odd points, like five minutes ago. Why is he out there with a chance of getting injured? And lo and behold, he gets injured. Facial fracture, concussion, missed two games, potentially missing tonight as well. Made no sense. And again, we, the fans, suffer. Because we don't get to see, to me, the marquee matchup of this postseason. Short-staffed Sixer team... Against a great Heat team that's probably the best in the East. Please, Embiid, come back. We need you. Will he be back? He's listed as out. There is a chance he plays. It's desperation time. Is there any time to kind of suck it up? Whatever injury you got. If the concussion's okay, put that clear mask on your face. Protect the injury. I think Embiid is a baller. I think if he can play, he's going to play. I don't think he's a guy that looks to sit out. They need him tonight. We're going to head to Philadelphia. Devon Givens, 97.5, the Fanatic, Sixers insider. A lot of insight with that team. He's going to join us next. Give us the latest on what is going on there with the star big man, the potential league MVP. Will he, in fact, be playing tonight or not? Again, we are hoping he does. Because I'm a spoiled basketball fan that's finally getting back into this sport. And this was going to be like that little series that gets me back in 100%. Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen. That's right. Rich is off today. but a beautiful Friday here in the Northeast. Hopefully it's beautiful wherever you are. Devon Givens, 97.5 The Fanatic. We have to fill it out for you next right here on the Rich Eisen Show.
1: Let's talk game time. Boy, do we love using game time tickets on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: Dan Schwartzman in for Rich on this Friday. NBA playoffs resume after day off yesterday. Sixers down two games to none to the Miami Heat. Yeah, the Dallas Mavericks hosting Phoenix. They're also down two games to none. I think it's still called the Wells Fargo Center That's going to be rocking tonight in Philadelphia. But the question is, will Joel Embiid play? I guess he's listed as out, facial fracture, concussion, chance of him playing. Will he or not, let's head to Philadelphia. Devon Givens, 97.5 The Fanatic, Sixers Insider, as well as the host of the Sixers pre- and post-game show joining us. Uh, Devon, what's the status as of right now for Joel Embiid tonight?
0: Well, Dan, the latest has been that they've uh, upgraded him to doubtful instead of out. That Out was the term being used yesterday. Now he is doubtful, feeling better, clearing concussion protocol, and he's looking to give it a go. When I last checked and checked in with a few sources, he's absolutely in a place where he really, really, really wants to play the game tonight.
2: He is a guy that I think you got to, like, strap him, handcuff him to the bench to keep him from being – look, he's a baller, man. He knows how important it is. He plays, they can win. He doesn't play, they're down 3-0. Is he that type of guy where it's like, you better put some weights on me if you don't want me to play because I'll be out there. I don't care if my face will fall apart. It doesn't matter.
0: Yes, that's, that's who he's become because early on, dealing with the injuries, he of course he wanted to play, but he had to go through the first two years of being off, 31 games in his technically his rookie season, and then coming back, and he's dealt with injuries in the past where they've had to really, the doctors had to tell him or tell Brett Brown at the time, the head coach, he cannot go or he had a minute restriction. That's who he has been in the past, and now that he has become the player that he has, being the franchise of the 76ers, and always wanting to be out there, always wanting to be the leader, and he's matured in that way, Dan, where in, in the past we were wondering about his maturity, always on social media, taking shots at people, and while he does that occasionally, he picks his spots, and they are very funny, but he picks his spots now, and it's all about basketball. It's all about him winning, the team winning, and uh, being out there for his teammates, and being down 2 It has been destroying him not being able to play, and he really wants to get out there on the floor tonight. So, yes, you're absolutely right. That's who he really is at this point. You have to strap him down, and it's a fight right now between he and the doctors of getting him to uh, lace them up tonight.
2: Devon Givens, 97.5 The Fanatic, joining us here on The Rich Eisen Show. Dan Schwartzman, in for Rich. I've known you 10 years. You're a huge basketball fan. I said before you came on the show that – for me, getting back into basketball, I'm more of that 80s, 90s guy that liked the inside game. Joel Embiid's kind of like a transcendent type of player. We're being robbed as fans because a healthy Joel Embiid on the Sixers against Miami, to me, is the best series in the NBA playoffs because you got a well-coached Miami team, but they don't have the height to match Joel Embiid. I mean, right. what happens if Joel Embiid's out there and I do think he's going to play there? Tell me how you think Miami can cover his skill set when they don't match height-wise.
0: Well, you know the funny part about it is as as you look at him, and a lot of his work was back to the basket early on, but yeah. each year he and his trainer, Drew Hanlon, they tried to diversify his game a little bit more, and they watched film of guards, uh, forwards, and centers to add different things to him. And oftentimes then I'll, I'll see something that he does in the game watching all 82 plus the playoffs, and I look at this guy 7'2", close to 300 pounds, and say, he's not supposed to be able to do that, yeah. right? A guard is supposed to be able to do that. It's kind of like when we look at Kevin Durant and his handling, his ball handling ability with the things that he's able to do as a seven footer, yet he plays on the wing. And that's who Joel Embiid is. And as far as the Miami Heat trying to defend him, they—that's this is why we thought this was the perfect matchup for the Sixers, not Milwaukee, not Boston in the second round. It was the Miami Heat because they match up so well because – He's the best player on the floor. He's the most dominant. They have to now gear their defense towards shutting him down, whether it's the mid-range game that he has implored as a big part of his game and seeing over the defense when those double teams come or being that bully on the low block because no one can stop him. As good as Bam Adebayo is as an all-NBA defender, he can't stop Joel Embiid, and we all know that. The Miami Heat know that. That's where the series changes and shifts. So if he is able to go tonight, just his presence alone, Dan, helps out the game plan for the Sixers and maybe opening things up a little bit more versus having Jordan, DeAndre Jordan, and Paul Reed out on the floor.
2: Devon, what's the situation with James Harden? You know, a lot of debate out there has been, who's this James Harden, right? Is he the same player in Houston? Has he lost a step? You followed James Harden throughout his career. What do you see when you see Harden out there for Philly?
0: Yeah, it has been unfair for anyone to expect the same James Harden. He's 32 years of age. He's played a lot of games deep into the playoffs offense geared through him. Everything runs through James Harden, the ball is in his hands the majority of the time when he was with the Houston Rockets. Fair to ask that player and coming here, this is not his franchise. This is Joel Embiid's franchise. So he has to change it up a little bit, but I do think with him losing a step dealing with that hamstring injury that they contend that he is fine. Now, I don't believe that. Both he says it, Doc Rivers says it, the hamstring is no longer a problem, but I just don't buy, I just don't buy that because I I, I, I don't believe that he has lost that much. While he doesn't blow by his defenders like he used to and don't expect them to, he still gets by them. It's just a matter of does he have the lift when he gets by them to get the layup opportunity, changing his mindset of not trying to draw the contact first and finishing second, more so finishing first, hoping the contact comes second, still getting to the foul line. And you also see it when he tries to do his, his patented step-back move, which from beyond the three-point line, has been a staple of who he is, maybe his signature move, and it doesn't fall, had not fallen then like it used to in the past. So one thing that I do want to see, while I am critical of some of the things not stepping up in the first two games with Embiid is out, if he is coming back, which I do think he comes back next season, a full off-season off, think about the bubble, the time that they had to speed and accelerate to getting back there on the floor in December, then coming back and getting on their regular schedule after the season ended last year. He has never really had the time to – rest and heal that hamstring properly to be whoever the version of James Harden in his low 30s will be, especially now playing with Joel Embiid. So right now it has not been enough. I thought he played pretty well in the Toronto series. So far for Miami, Of what they, from what they have needed, he has not had it. And prime example, the 16 points that he put up yeah. in game number two in the first half, he only scored four in the second. Was he? Did he spill his bucket? in the first half. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I know Maxi scored well in the third and so did Tobias Harris, but only four points, two in the third quarter, two in the fourth. Did he spill it all in the first half, trying to give them something to play off of? They were down eight at the end of one. So that's my long-winded answer. Yeah. I could obviously go more, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that's where I am with him right now.
2: Uh, you mentioned Maxi. Is he the second best player on this team right now behind Embiid?
0: Yes. Yes, he is. Uh, and, and look, I think that with the ability to pass and, and dish the ball the way that Harden does and still score, you close to 18 to 20 points. Right now, I think Maxie is the one. A close second, based on what we've seen so far in the playoffs, Tobias Harris has been phenomenal. I've been hard on Tobias Harris. He has been great in, in the first eight games that they've played through the first two series. But Maxie, has, uh, he has star written all over him if he continues to develop at this pace and he has been really good. You can see the speed. in Eric Spolster said it, said it pregame on Wednesday. The speed, of course, is not something that you can game plan for. It's unique. And that's the one thing that he is able to do. Uh, when you were here before, Dan, you knew how Tony Roden would go 100 miles per hour yeah. but couldn't understand his speed and when to slow it down. Tyrese Maxey understands how to slow his speed down, kind of like Iverson did in the past, where he could slow his speed down, still get a good shot, still create contact, get to the foul line and he has developed into ending the season as the third best percentage-wise, 42% from beyond in the entire league. That has been a, a big development for him in his second year.
2: Devon Givens, 97-5, the Fanatics, Sixers Insider, Sixers pre- and post-game show host. Joining us here on the Rich Eisen Show, Dan Schwartzman. In for Rich. Well, I got you. Look, you know, I think we both agree, and goes tonight. It's a different series with him there. But I want to go to another series, the late game tonight. It is the – Mavericks hosting the Suns. Luka Doncic is a great player. To me, he's a top-five player in this league. It's ridiculous how good he is at his age. How do you give that guy help, though? If you're Dallas, right, and you got to figure out, they tried the Porzingis route, that didn't work. Devon Givens played GM. Put that hat on for me. What the heck does Dallas have to do here to put something around this guy? Because he's scoring 40, 45 points a game, and it's not enough.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think Jalen Brunson can be his third-best player. He can't be his second-best player. Uh, you need somebody else on the wing that can score with them. You, ideally, you would like a post presence, but that doesn't really exist in the NBA, as you pointed out when we first got started. So I, I think ideally, again, while you have nice players in Tim Hardaway Jr., adding Spencer Dinwiddie and even Dory and Benny Smith, you need someone else with a better overall skill package at the wing to go with Luka, where you have him and that player as wing players doing what they do. Jalen Brunson as another third option and just have – the other two, like Dwight Powell can do as a rebounder, a hardworking type of player, the scrappy player, to do all the other little things to make sure that you walk away with the win. Because you're right. He is a top five player in this league. He is phenomenal with the way that he does it. He kind of slow walks you into things and draws you, into, uh, he draws you to sleep methodically with how he plays the game. Uh, that's what I think personally. I mean, they need another wing to go along with Luka Doncic.
2: Here's the problem though. And As a Knicks fan, I see this, right? It's like how do you get yeah. that player in the NBA today? You know, you got to have some cap room, although the cap is kind of strange in the NBA team seemingly bring in all this like like Brooklyn, there's a cap, but yeah, Brooklyn can bring in every talented player. It made no sense to me, but whatever. There's a cap. Let's go with that, okay? So like with the Knicks, it's like, okay, uh, if you don't get that free agent to want to come play for you, you're not bad enough as a team to get that top, you know, 2 or 3 draft pick to get that star player potentially. That alters right. the you know the future of your franchise. Is Dallas, in your mind, kind of stuck? They're not a bad team, obviously. They're a playoff team. They're not good enough, though, to win it all because it's Luka and a bunch of other guys, as you said. Nice pieces, but not really a true number two. I don't know what their cap situation is. It's not as if they seem to be making runs at these big-name free agents. Are they stuck in your mind in terms of how to getting that number two guy unless they fall into a Tyrese Maxey drafted 20, 21st overall, whatever that it was, a couple of years ago?
0: Right, and uh, I, that's, that's the one way, as you know, drafting. But also, is there another player? Every year, and we'll take the example here in Philadelphia, every year there's a disgruntled player, whether it's Ben Simmons or James Harden, that they're going to want out. And how, how, how much is Dallas looking at that particular player, whoever that player might become in the offseason or during the season, to go and acquire that player to go with him? And who wants to play with Luka Doncic? Right, We see it all the time now where players want to tag team and, and team up with these, these other stars in the league and try to make their push that way. So I, I would look at it that way outside of the drafting, which is the obvious one, or just simply someone on your roster already elevating their, their play. Is there a player out there who will ask out of their situation and then become that player that wants to tag up and team up with Luka Doncic and Bradley bill, that player uh, once he clears everything with his injuries. And I know he's not a big wing, but he is a, talented scorer as we know who is that player i don't know but uh, that's the way that i look at it dan that it's probably going to have to be just simply someone wanting to play with luca Doncic.
2: yeah i think there's two problems here with luca one is and you mentioned it his his style of basketball right he's Mm -hmm. a ball dominant player obviously he's a guy that needs the ball in his hands and i think that kind of led to issues with porzingis but he's also a european player and what i mean by that is like no knock against european players but you know there's not a, you know, he speaks English obviously. But what I'm trying to say is I think at times when you talk about, you know, guys wanting to go play with another guy, there has to be some sort of relatability. And I think unless you're Dirk who like really embraced American culture, Dirk be, you know, Dirk frankly was an American guy at the end, right? Guys kind of treated him that way. Is there kind of maybe that little bit of a not a divide, but maybe a barrier with Luka Doncic and other guys wanting to kind of join him and make a super team because of that or am I making this all up? No, that's a good point.
0: That is a good point. And, look, he's not the first one, right, Dan, from the European players, where we, right. we've seen this before. So that, that, that is a good point. I, I just wonder if, of course, with his natural growth, year what, year three in the league, year four yeah. in the league uh, at this point, and seeing that, okay, I feel like I can do it by myself, but at some point I cannot do this alone, and, and hoping that he, he can communicate with someone else, whether it's during the All-Star game. A lot of stuff, we, we've seen it, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, or whoever it may be with James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh in the past, where you have these, these USA teams that, where they can play with one another, right. and they can talk about these things, and they can kind of game plan for the future. His problem, of course, is that he doesn't play for Team USA. He, he plays for his national, national team, and maybe that player is not on that squad. Where, right. where is he going to have those conversations unless they're just simply – uh, exchanging numbers, text exchange, phone conversations, may, maybe meeting up face to face in the states, and, and going through that in the off season. So it's a good point by you, and I'm curious. I really am curious to see what they do because with him, he is that good. Where they are a second round team right now, they're just running into a juggernaut in the Phoenix Suns, and I don't think that they can beat them. So that's just what it is. But they have to address it at some point, if not this off season, the following uh, off season as well, based on where they go, how far they go.
2: Last question, Devon, do you like the strategy from Jason Kidd kind of literally calling out other guys saying Luca can't do it by himself and need other guys to do it? In essence, he is calling out players on his own team to to step it up. Are you a fan of that? Uh, you know, a lot of times you see, you hear, you know, people say to a coach or a player, you don't kind of put other guys in a situation where you're putting it all on them. Is that a good strategy or is it a head scratcher?
0: I, I, I Coming from Philadelphia with Doc Rivers, I'll take that strategy. Right. Right. Um, because I don't like how Doc approaches a lot of things, and I give him credit for it when credit is due, but I also criticize him for the things that he does, like uh, the Ben Simmons saga and talking down to everybody here at this We Don't Know Basketball. We may not know it on his level, but right. we know a little bit. And <laughs> with Jason Kidd, you see the same, you see exactly what he's talking about, right? right? So at least he's telling you the truth of what is happening, and he cannot do it by himself. You saw during the season, Jalen Brunson, especially in round one, holding it down before Luka got back. He cannot do it by himself. So I don't mind it, especially if he says this to his team in the locker room privately, and they understand that if it comes out publicly, hey, at least he already said it to us. And by the way, we know that too. So I don't mind it.
2: I like it. You're right. Give it to us straight, man. Don't give us the the back talk. Don't criticize us. We may not be NBA players, but we know hoops. I know for sure you know hoops. You don't need a coach talking down saying you guys don't know it. And uh, I think you're right. Give it to me straight, Jason Kidd is giving it to straight to his team. Straight, guys, step up. Luca can't do this by himself. He needs some help. Devon Givens, ninety-seven-five, the fanatic, Sixers insider, and he'll be on tonight for the Sixers pre and post game show. Appreciate you hopping on the show, my friend. As always, thank you, Dan. Great time as always. Devon Givens does a great job there in Philadelphia breaking it down. Joel Embiid now listed as doubtful. He will play. All right, he is a baller. He will play. He's not going to sit it out. Not happening. He sits out. They are done. He knows it. They have a chance here to really go deep into the postseason. Diamond in the rough they found a couple years ago in the draft. Tyrese Maxey, absolute stud. Hard may not be the same player, but he is clearly serviceable. Tobias Harris, good player as well. Joel Embiid is that factor. Do they go to an NBA championship, or do they get knocked out here by the Miami Heat? Depends on the health of Joel Embiid. I do want to get into the whole Luka Doncic situation. Coming up next, Dan Schwartzman in for Rich Eisen it is the Rich Eisen show right here on a Friday Dan Schwartzman in right here on the Rich Eisen Show for Rich on this Friday. And B now listed as doubtful. He was listed as out yesterday. He's now listed as doubtful from all indications. He will go tonight. If he can get up and walk, he will play. It's a facial fracture, concussion. He is itching to go. He is a guy that Miami does not match up with. Uh, As Devon said, look, Adebayo is a heck of a defensive player, but he doesn't have the height. He's like 6'9", they list him out. He's probably closer to 6'7". Joel Embiid is a terrible mismatch for Miami. He doesn't play tonight. Miami's up three games to none in this series. He plays tonight in Philly, by the way. That series goes probably 2-1. It's a different story. Now, Luka Doncic is another guy, right? As great as Joel Embiid is, Luka Doncic is great too. And he's really young. I mean, this is a guy that is, what is he, 22 years old at this point? He just turned 23 in February. He's played four years in this league. He's been all NBA, like uh, first team, I think three years out of four. He's averaging 26 points a game in his career. I mean, it's unbelievable what Luka Doncic has accomplished in such a short period of time in his career. He's averaging 26.5 points, 8.5 rebounds, 8 assists per game in his career. All right, that's insanity at 23. So the future is clearly bright. The present is bright, but he's got no help right now. And remember, he missed, what, the first three games of the playoffs coming back from that injury, but he has clearly hit the ground running. I mean, the guy in five games is shooting 50% from the field, 39% from three-point land, and close to 80% from the free-throw line, averaging 33.5 points, 10 rebounds, 6.5 assists per game so far in the postseason. He's turning over the ball a lot because he's always got the ball in his hands close to five times a game. But Jason Kidd kind of called out the rest of the team. He said, look, I mean, Luka can't do this by himself. Brunson has stepped up. He's made himself a lot of money this postseason. But they're not getting much from other guys out there, right? They don't really have that true number two. And that's a big problem. That's why they got Porzingis last offseason. I mean, Porzingis was supposed to be that number two. He was supposed to be a couple offseasons ago, excuse me. He was supposed to be the... Complementary piece to give you a really solid one-two punch that could make you compete for championships didn't work out poor Zingis there was apparently some beef between him and Luca to where Luca's going to win that power struggle he's the better player he's the homegrown talent he's the guy that's going to be Nowitzki there right the guy that's going to spend 20 years and retires a member of the Dallas Mavericks and have a statue of himself in front of the stadium that's going to happen I'll tell you that right now, no question about it. So far, he's on his way to being one of the great players in the history of basketball. Right? I mean, listen, it's only been four years, but Art Martinez. You know, if if Luca continues this into double digit years, we may be talking about the greatest European player to play in the NBA. Right? Uh, wow, that's right. I mean, quite Dirk's a statement, the greatest, right? I mean, Dirk's the greatest European player. Yeah, right to now playing the NBA. Right, right now. I mean Luka Doncic is going to potentially surpass Dirk Nowitzki in terms of greatness. And they're, they they played on the same team. Same team. Yeah. There have been some great European players. You know, Manu Ginobili, great player. Hated him. Hated him. You know why he hated him? Cuz he was so good at what he did.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, was a Laker, a guy that, I was a Laker
2: fan. Yeah, let, I hated him. Let me tell you him. something. He's a guy that if you put him on a team and said you're the number one guy, he'd score 25 points a game. Okay? But that wasn't his role, and Manu knew his role, understood what they needed, and he did it well. He sacrificed personal statistics for the greatness of the team, and kind of like Draymond Green to a point. I I hate Draymond because he's he's that guy that you hate when he plays for another team. You love him when he plays for your team, right? He's a guy that will give you 110%, and at the end of his career, you look at the numbers and he's averaging like eight points a game, you're going to say, all right, statistically, is Raymond Green a Hall of Famer? Are you going to say, absolutely not. But then you're going to start breaking it down and what he meant for that team and what he brought to the table. You're going to say, okay, he might be a Hall of Famer. And Manu Ginobili is the same way. It's like, okay, statistically, is he a Hall of Famer? Nah, not really. Nothing stands out. But then you say, yeah, but man, he could have been more, but he played his role so well. So yeah, they don't win all those championships in San Antonio and become a dynasty without... He's kind of like that, that glue, you know? He's the guy that... You don't see the binding agent because it's behind the scenes, but that's probably why they were so successful overall. Yeah, there are other great players, Parker and you know Duncan and Robinson before that. But uh, you know they would have won. But do they win as much without Ginobili? Probably not. Drazen Petrovic was going to be awesome. He was, and obviously the car accident—that yeah, was tragic, uh, tragic—took tragic, his life. But Drazen Petrovic was going to be an absolute star. Was breaking out with the Nets. We'll never know what happened in terms of what his career would have been like. But Dirk Nowitzki is the greatest European player to play in the NBA. And I'll give you another guy. You know, if if Arvidas Sabonis had played in America from when he was 20 years old and didn't come here at 32 with bad knees or whatever it was, we may be talking about him as the greatest European player, right? I mean, he is one of the great players in the history of basketball. You mean no fetus? (laughs) No fetus, exactly, because, well, his feet were bad, right. But even though he was the walking wounded when he came here, Art, you saw him play on the West Coast. Yeah, he was good. He Dude was good. Was good. I mean, he he was you know probably sixty percent of what he was. He was kind of a shell of himself by the time he got over to America, playing for Portland. He is still a guy. Who gave you what like eighteen and ten, right? I mean, he was a good player. You think about what he was internationally as a healthy player, and if if he had come here at a young age and played out his entire career in the NBA, or you know, Arvidas Sabonis may be the greatest European player, but. Luka Doncic, for the first four years of his career, when you talk about a career trajectory, it's hard to argue that he is not potentially going to be the greatest European player. But here's the problem, and I brought it up with Devon, okay? Is Luka a guy other people want to play with? Is he a guy that you want to go play with and make a super team? It's a valid question. You know, LeBron went to Miami, right? Miami already had Chris Bosh. It wasn't like you had the ball-dominant player already in Miami. And the question was, would other guys like to kind of sacrifice potentially their own statistics to allow this guy to come in and do what he does? Now, the Nets are an interesting situation. You already had Kyrie Irving, but you bring in Kevin Durant. But I think Durant's a guy that adjusted well. I think Kyrie adjusted well. Harden, again, wasn't there long enough. And they never played together as the fearsome threesome because of injury, right? I think they played like seven times or some ridiculously low, low, low number over the years. How many times those three guys are actually on the court together? That big three, talent-wise, name recognition-wise, ability-wise, may have been the greatest big three. We'll never know. Luka's a ball-dominant player. He is. He's a fantastic player. But he needs a ball in his hand. And to point that upset Porzingis, right? Because Porzingis wanted to do his own thing. So you kind of wonder if you're like a Bradley Beal or a, a guy like that, a guy who's accustomed to being the man, accustomed to putting up big numbers. Are you willing to potentially sacrifice a little bit of your own personal statistics to benefit the team and kind of fit in? They're not building around you. You're being put into a situation where they're building around a Luka Doncic, all right? That's a different position. Now Like a Manu Ginobili. Like a Manu Ginobili, but not a lot of guys are like Manu Ginobili in terms of sacrificing their own abilities statistically to the benefit of the team now Bradley Beal signs a a max extension whatever he's getting paid regardless maybe the thing that he needs is a championship right to to solidify his greatness we know Bradley Beal's a great player statistically he's a great player as well the eye test he's a great player but when it's all said and done he ain't winning squat in Washington so if he decides to go and say all right you know what I'll sacrifice 28 points a game. I'll go down in scoring a bit, but I go play with Luka. We're a deadly 1-2. You throw in Jalen Brunson if they keep him around, Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, guys like that, Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, you're talking about really good players around there, right? You got a legit 1-2 and a bunch of other really good, solid players, then it's a different story. That team's competing. And maybe that's what it is. A guy that's already established, a guy that's already got the big money paycheck, is willing to kind of have to fit around the established superstar in that city. But most superstars are already established in their city, and they expect others to come to them. That's the difference. Well, maybe you draft more European players. But here's the problem, though. The Dallas Mavericks are never going to be bad enough with Luka Doncic to where they're drafting top five, right? Top ten. They're not going to be drafting in the lottery unless Luka gets banged up and they have a terrible season. They're kind of uh, between a rock and a hard place. They're not good enough to win a championship, and they're not bad enough really to be obviously competing for a lottery pick to bring in big talent. All right, we're going to head back to the NBA, NFL. Ryan Tannehill, interesting words this week about what he should or should not do to help out Malik Willis. How's that flying, and are they going to change the offense a bit in Tennessee? Teron Davenport, ESPN Titans beat reporter, will be joining us next. Dan Schwartzman filling in for Rich Eisen right here on a Friday on the Rich Eisen Show.